morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, very excited about this. Um, I, uh, again, my name is Larry Rosenthal, and thanks to you know, Dwayne and, and Eric and Greg. Appreciate you having me out today. Um, like, uh, like Eric had mentioned, I, uh, um, I have a radio show on Saturday mornings. I, uh, it's called Making Money Sense. It's broadcast on WAVA here in the D.C. and Baltimore area. It's also simulcast nationwide on Sirius XM channel Family, uh, Family Talk 131 nationwide. I'm the president of Rosenthal Wealth Management Group, and we do financial planning. Uh, we do it from a biblical perspective, and I've been in many, many churches over the years, uh, all around the D.C., Baltimore area, metro area, uh, teaching biblically-based financial planning classes, and that's what we want to talk about today. Uh, one of the things that I, that I uh, was, was talking to Eric about before was, what about the Q&A and things like that? And, and so I'm up in front of groups often speaking about investment planning and things like that, and, and I would encourage you uh, to ask questions right in the middle of what I'm going on. Don't hold your questions to the end, okay? I'd like to get dialogue going on any questions at all, whether it's whether it's on the screen up here, or if something just flies into your head that's off topic, feel free to, to ask those questions as well. Uh, on Saturday mornings on the radio show, it's always open mic Saturday. We get questions all over the spectrum, from estate planning to taxes to mortgages to the Federal Reserve to cryptocurrency to all kinds of things. So feel free to ask any questions at all on the subject matter at hand. Um, so with that being said, before I get started, does anyone have any questions? All right, shy group, I'll start calling on people pretty soon, so no worries. Let's see if this thing works. Here we go. Yep, so today we want to talk a little bit about our perspective on money. Uh, we'll talk about a financial plan, how that works, the purpose of a financial plan. We'll also talk about understanding the economy a little bit and a broad 10,000-foot view and um, how, to, how to really design portfolios and risk assessments inside investment investments. First thing we need to do is we need to back up and take a look at what, how money touches everything. Money really touches a lot of things, as we know. It plays a huge role in all of our lives, right? The Lord mentioned money in the Bible over 2,300 times. I think faith, 491, and prayer, 500 times. So throughout Scripture, we see all types of, of uh, commentary regarding money. And what is our role with money? You know, what about giving? What about our possessions? You know, just like the, what is it, John, Ringo, Paul, and uh, George were talking about. All they want is money, right? So they can do whatever they want to do, right? Uh, that's probably the worldview on money. Uh, probably not the best way to go about understanding what our role as stewards are with the benefits or the blessings, I should say, that the Lord has blessed us with, each differently. Um, you know, how does money play into a role at work? What are some of the dangers of money? that we have to deal with. So we'll, we'll, we'll break this down and we'll sort of unpack it as we move on here. First of all, Scripture, again, has so many different lines, uh, uh, verses on money. Uh, here in Revelation, because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and I need nothing and you do not work that you are, are wretched, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know, think about this. We all... You know, you can just turn on the television and you can see movie people, sports stars, just, just anybody, really. And they're all desiring for worldly 
accolades, right? Worldly material things. That's really not the best way to approach it from a biblical standpoint on, on, on how we should handle the possessions that we've received. In 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is a very misquoted scripture. A lot of people say, well, money is the root of all evil, right? Well, that's not what it says, right? It says, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. So if we break that down and think about that, you know, if, if we are so caught up in, in the love of money, you know, bottom line is, is here's the Lord and here we are. What does he want between us? Nothing, right? And it's very easy for people to get caught up into the love of money because the love of money, I'm sorry, money in today's society can provide us with a lot of worldly things that aren't necessarily biblical things. Prestige, power, control over others, possessions, things like that. Um, you know, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, you, you, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, God and wealth at the same time. This is in Matthew 6.24. So again, the Lord talks many, many times about money throughout the, throughout the Bible. And we have to figure out what God's role is with money and what our role is with money as well. And if you stop and think about this for a second, we've got kind of a confusing thing going on here. You know, we're, we're talking about biblical stewardship with the assets the Lord has blessed us with. But at the same time, we have to pay for a mortgage. We have to pay utility bills, right? We come to church. We've got to deal with the banks, the institutions. We want to have a nice, safe, comfortable car. And a lot of this stuff centers around money. So, so how do we approach this? What's the best way to take a look at it? And, and how do we sort of draw a line in the sand and understand where we are with our understandings of it and where do we want to get to? And so here we have God's economy on one side and man's economy on the other side. And if you think about this for a second here, you know, we have, we, we go to work, we have money in our retirement plans, right? And, and, and we're sort of sitting here right in the middle of these two concepts, God's economy and man's economy. And, and what are some of the rules, the game plan, if you will, on God's economy? You know, God owns everything, right? He's given different people different talents, different abilities. Some people have more wealth. Some people have different types of wealth. question is, what are we doing with it? What pleases God with the blessings that he's given us? Stewardship, Right? Not perfect money management, not buying the perfect stock every single day in the stock market. No one can do that, right? But stewardship principles. If we walk all the way over here to man's economy, on this side over here, what are the rules involved in man's economy? Basically, he or she who dies with the most toys wins, right? That's not God's economy at all, is it? And we have opposing uh, rules, opposing desires, if you will. You know, we live in the world. We have families to support. We live in a throwaway society. I saw an interview years ago 
years ago, it actually started me thinking, you know, Paul Newman, the, the, the actor, um, uh, he was being interviewed and he was talking about his toaster that he was trying to fix. And the, and the, person, the interview person said, well, why don't you just buy a new toaster? And he says, that's exactly right. I can just take it out here and try and fix it. It was a little spring mechanism. And I started thinking to myself, you know, that's true. If you, if you pay attention, we do live in a throwaway society, and we just keep on consuming and consuming. So, so in God's economy, what does God want us to do with it, right? God wants to figure out, God wants us, I think, to figure out what we have and how to treat it as a manager, what the Lord's given us. We're managers of what the Lord has given us. We're managers with the relationships that the Lord has blessed us with. How do we manage the relationships with people? How do we, how do we witness to others, right? Can we use money? Can we use homes? Can we use different things that we've been blessed with to deliver the, the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ to others that may be caught up in all of this stuff over here? There's so much confusion and, and distrust in man's economy. And so here we are. Here we are on Sunday morning, and we're talking about money management, biblical principles, right? And then all of a sudden, we're going to go out to work tomorrow on Monday, and we're going to get all the way back over here caught up into man's economy, right? We've got to deal with traffic, and we've got to deal with payroll, and we've got to deal with, you know, where are we going to have lunch today? We've got to deal with the person down the hall in the next cubicle, and just all this kind of stuff. And we get caught up into man's economy very, very quickly, don't we? And today in these slides, we're going to go back and forth between man's economy and God's economy. Any questions on this? Because this is going to be sort of the, 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 lot, the lane of traffic we're going to go down today. Any questions? All right. So we have three phases of financial planning. We have the accumulation phase, the distribution phase. My animation is not working. That's fine. We have the accumulation phase, the distribution phase, and the legacy phase. Three phases of financial planning, right? And so here we are on our lifeline at some point down the road. Some of us are, are younger. Some of us are a little bit older, okay? And, and in the different phases of our, of our financial lifeline, if you will, the three phases, there's a commonality here. That commonality is our favorite uncle, Uncle Sam down here. So during the accumulation phase, when we're growing our assets, here we are, we're growing our assets, right? We're, we're, we're saving as much money as we can, trying to pay down debt. We're trying to save, invest, do everything we can possibly do. We have to understand that there's four different lenses that the IRS looks at our money. If I had a dollar to invest, I'd stick a quarter into each taxable system right here, okay? Once we understand... First of all, we've heard of asset allocation. You know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Put a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there, right? Now we also can talk about product allocation, which we'll get to later. And now I want to talk about tax allocation. There are, again, four different ways, four different buckets that the IRS views our dollars. Once we understand these rules of engagement, then we're going to have a much... Uh, a greater opportunity for more tax efficiency in the three phases of wealth accumulation. Accumulation, distribution, and legacy. Taxable accounts. You know, it's tax season. You got your little 1099 right now from your bank account that paid you, you know, 17 cents this year because interest is so low, but you still have to pay taxes on it, right? 
or maybe your mutual fund kicked out a taxable distribution or something like that, but you, but you pay taxes each year as you earn interest on those accounts. Tax deductible and deferred, this is where you electively try to, to put money into your retirement plan. Maybe some of you work at the government, a T, your TSP plan or a 401k, or maybe you're a school teacher or, or a nonprofit and a 403b plan. You say, hey, I'm going to not take some of my income and I'm going to put it into a retirement program. You get a tax write-off. While the money's in there, it's growing deferred, meaning there's no taxes while it's inside the plan. Then you get non-deductible and tax-deferred, and then tax-exempt and tax-free. Okay? So today, what we have to deal with is we have to deal with trying to reduce our taxes as much as we can, right? Everybody on board with that, for sure, okay? We want to do it legally. You know, the tax code is very interesting, by the way. The tax code, I don't know, this big, right? It's probably even bigger, okay? The first two-thirds of it explain to us how they're going to take money from us from a taxing perspective. The last third of it explains to us how we can legally minimize it, okay? And that's what these four buckets are right here. A lot of times when we have clients, we'll sit down with them and we'll take a look at their, their tax allocation strategy, okay? And a lot of, many, many times when people get down into the retirement years, they want to pull their money out of this tax-free bucket. But we've got to figure out a way to systematically over the years get money over there. Four different tax buckets. That's the big thing on this page right here, okay? For those of you that are taking notes, I see some of y'all doing that. Understand the tax allocation strategy. Second phase is distribution. Where's our money going to come from? It's going to come from, first of all, we have to figure out what our essential income needs are, our lifestyle needs, and our money's going to come from these sources, pensions, Social Security, maybe working after retirement, you know, in a light passion job or something like that, you know, um, uh, investment income, and again, you need tax efficiency. This is really one of the most expensive phases of, of financial planning is when you get to retirement and you start pulling money back. Okay? Because a lot of times the kids are grown and gone, you have very little interest left on your home a lot of times, there's not a lot of write-offs. And if you pack a lot of your money into this bucket right here, all this, these dollars are going to come out and be in a high tax rate. Third phase is legacy planning. Uh, there's a tug-of-war that takes place between Uncle Sam okay, and our heirs, charities, and the IRS. There they are. And so in all three phases of our financial life, there's one commonality here, and that is tax efficiency across all of them, right? Okay? We want to make sure that while our dollars are growing, they're tax efficient. While we're receiving income from reliable, dependable, tax efficient sources in retirement years, when we pass assets on to heirs or charities, it's tax efficient as well. Okay? So tax allocation strategies. Any questions there? All right. Let's keep rolling. So this is just sort of a, an example of a financial plan, just, just to give you an idea. Let's suppose somebody's 49 years old. As you go through these different ages in life, there's just different things that start off or, or, or different things that happen all along the way. So think about your financial planning timeline, if you will, from where you are now. Take it all the way out to age 100. You've got grandkids, great-grandkids. You've got all these different things. I was talking with somebody the other day, and they said, I think they were 62, 63. Anyway, they said, Larry, I guarantee taxes are going to go way, way up 
And I said to them, you're only 50% right. And they said, what do you mean? It's going to go up 50%? I said, no, you're only 50% right. At 62, then 72, 82, 92, maybe even 102 years old, between that age of 62 for this lady and, and, and when she ultimately goes to heaven, guess what taxes are going to do during that, her retirement career? I call it the retirement career. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to go up and they're going to go down. They're going to go up and they're going to go down. Okay? Taxes don't just only go up, but there are periods of time when they go down. And I have seen this happen for many, many years. There's a minimum tax that, that they have to charge us. Okay? There's a maximum tax where all of a sudden they get diminishing returns. And in that gap right there is what they, the administration, one administration changes it up and down and they move different things around. Okay? So understanding the importance of having money in the four different tax buckets right here will give you the opportunity in, in your retirement years or your heirs to be able to pull out dollars in the most tax-efficient way based off of the code at that time. It kind of ties together a little bit. Um, the, 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 the bottom line here is when we're thinking about financial planning and investment strategies and, and just the whole nine yards, think about it right here. You're in this box right here, the middle box, the client. You want to make sure that your investments your home, even down to the titling of your car, the titling of your bank accounts, your checking account, you want to make sure that all of that stuff is set up correctly should something happen so that your heirs and charities receive things with as little administrative challenges and as little taxation as possible. At the same time, and this is a difficult conversation to have for many people, and I actually... I, coincidence, I actually talked about this yesterday on my radio show, I called it the sandwich generation. I don't know if anybody heard it or not, but, but on, I called it the sandwich generation. These are for people that are close to or already retired. Close to or already retired. They may have adult kids that are either living with them or maybe they're out on their own, but they're still kind of tied financially to the umbilical cord, if you will, right? While at the same time, we may have to take care financially of aging parents. And there they are, smack right in the middle of the sandwich generation. A lot of people are like that. Okay? Nothing wrong with it, it just so happens that's where a lot of people are demographically. So, so what, we, what I'm encouraging people to do, and again, it's a tough conversation, is to talk to your parents or your in-laws or whoever it may be and say, hey, you know, we want to just make sure that everything's arranged correctly with all of your beneficiary forms, the 11 different ways that you can title accounts, uh, your will, your trust, so that if something were to go wrong up here, it passes down to whoever you want, however you want, with as least administrative issues and as most tax efficient as possible. So be thinking about your financial plan, the generation above you and the generation below you, okay? And, um, I mean, there's a 130-points checklist, which is just crazy. I've never met anybody that's going to go through all 130. If somebody here wants to do that, then I can have you meet with one of my associates, okay? Because um, <laughs> I'm not doing 130 of them. No, nah, but, but that's, that's how many things that can actually go into a financial plan. Um, this is just 64 of the more popular areas of a financial plan. 
that people go through, and, and you know, you've got investment planning in all of these areas here. Estate planning, retirement, insurance planning, cash flow, assisting loved ones, tax planning strategies. And I, I could spend, you know, I mean, if you want, we can order dinner in tonight, and I can go through each one of these. But, but um, you know, this is just an idea of the depth of what a financial plan can actually reach into, no matter what your, your situation is, from the very simple the most complex, and everything in between. And it's amazing to me a lot of times when somebody says, look, you know, I'm very simple. I don't have a lot. It's very easy to deal with. Okay, I just need some basic, you know, bu budgeting and cash flow management, right? You know, um, uh, we help a lot of people out with, with some of the basics and getting started, you know. Sometimes there's more month than there is in income. And there's ways that we can sit down and show people how to stretch the month out a little bit by making some decisions, temporary decisions. So I'll just, I'll just talk about that for some reason now. So, so, you know, if you think about just writing down the different areas that you have spent money in, maybe over the last three or four months, and you can have two checkboxes. It's very, very simple, just two checkboxes. You know, one that says necessity and the other one says lifestyle choice. And you'll have different checks all the way down, you know. Well, rent, well, that's a necessity, right? Food, well, that's a necessity, but sometimes it's a lifestyle choice too, right? Um, entertainment, well, there is a level of necessity and lifestyle choices. And what we have found over the years in, in helping um, budgeting is that people can make a temporary suspension of certain lifestyle choices pay down some debt, or save some money into a bank account, and then re-employ those lifestyle expenses and temporarily shut down some others for a period of time. So it's not like you're just not doing anything. Um, you know, Long-term care insurance, uh, IRA contributions, Roth conversions, there's just a whole lot to, that can be you know, talked about inside a financial plan. My, my, my statement to you on this page here and the last couple of pages is, you know, um, make sure that, that you at least have one good pass through your entire situation uh, with an advisor, whether it's with me or our firm or someone else. Just make sure that you go through all of this at least once. You'll be surprised at some of the areas, especially in the tax efficiency and investment efficiencies that, that you'll be able to find. So, so if you want, you can go to my website, LarryRosenthal.com. And right on the front page, there's a little video. It's about a minute or two long. I don't know what it is. And it just demonstrates a properly structured financial plan. So I encourage you to, to, to really do that. There is, there is value in these. Again, whether you want to do it with us or somebody else. You know, but, but please please get that done. Um, so you know, we, we've kind of cruised through a lot of this stuff talking about building wealth, right? And I know, come on, I know some of us are thinking, okay, well, I've got this going on, and, and what about my 401k now, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and really quickly, we, we, are all, we are over on this side of the screen. We're talking about man's economy, right? And now we're going to come back into God's economy all of a sudden. And see how easy it is to bounce from one side from God's economy all the way into man's economy very quickly like that, right? And we have to be aware of that in our day. You know, we need to be good stewards with our dollars. Yes, we need to be entertained with them, and God wants us to have good things. 
We also want to be aware of how we can use some of those things to witness to others about Jesus Christ, right? Um, so do not store up for yourselves treasures uh, on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but rather store up for yourselves where and what? Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember earlier we were talking about man's economy versus God's economy, and here's the Lord, and here we are, and he doesn't want anything in between us? What's one of the easiest things for something to come in between God and us? It's money, and it's the things that money can represent in worldly assets. Again, power, control, the corner office, the new shiny car, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, you know, better is, a little, uh, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Trust me, the more people have, the more complicated life becomes a lot of times, unless you really get a grip and control on who owns it. And who does own it, right? The Lord owns it. And what is our role with it? Stewardship. And that's what I would encourage people to be thinking about when you're looking at your statements, when you're looking at your mortgage, when you're looking at your credit cards and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.18. But you should remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you the power to make wealth that He may confirm His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is to this day. It's God that gives us the ability. And He gives us the ability in a lot of different ways, a lot of different things, you know. Uh, you know, the Beatles, they could sing and play music, right? I can't play music. I can't sing, anyway. <laughs> um, but we all have different talents. And we all have to use those talents to, to, to figure out how the people that are around us in, the, in our relationships and witness to them through, through deed, through action, and, and words, and demonstration. Uh, the plans of the diligent um, lead surely to advantage, but everyone who, who uh, is hasty comes surely to poverty. You know, Let's get education. Let's understand what we're trying to accomplish. Do we want to pay our mortgage off? Do we not? You know, there's nine different ways to attack that conversation. Nine different ways. Three ways show you how to pay your mortgage off very quickly. Three ways explain to you why you might not want to, and three ways show you how to manage equity versus debt in your home. Okay? So we need education on all of this stuff. We talked about the tax allocation, right? We talked about more things. There's a lot involved with all of it. So let's, let's get educated on stuff. Um, um, in looking at fiscal and monetary policy, we want to be able to ask the question, can we see what's going to happen down the road with the economy in order to make better investments? And the answer is, to a certain degree, yes. And these are called uh, economic indicators. There's three types. There's leading economic indicators, there's coincident indicators, and lagging indicators. So a, a lagging economic indicator would be like, um, you know, Greg and I are driving down the road, and I go, man, did you see that pothole we just, we just missed? Right? That's a lagging statement. You know, we missed it. It's in our rearview mirror. So there are economic indicators that are lagging in nature. There are coincident indicators. 
indicators that are going on right now affecting the market right now. You can see the, the, the relationship there. And then there's leading economic indicators. There's a basket of 10 or 11 of them. You know, you, you take a look at wages. Are wages going up or are they cresting? Are they going down? That can be considered a leading economic indicator. The stock market is a leading economic indicator. The S&P 500 is a, is a leading economic indicator. So when you're looking at investment types, you want to take a look at the different types of indicators. Going back to the gentleman's question in the back there about bonds, about fixed income, you know, what are the leading economic indicators right now affecting that portion of your portfolio? And the answer is interest rates. Why are they doing that? And you can take a look at what's going to happen with your, your uh, 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 parts of your investment portfolio. BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics, they pump this stuff out every single day. You know, Tuesday morning at 8.30, next week, Tuesday morning at 8.30, we're going to get the inflation number, CPI, on the month of March. Right? So every month, on the, right around the 12th or the 13th of the month, the prior month's inflation data comes out. Every Thursday morning, unemployment numbers come out. So all these numbers come out all the time. If you want to learn how to read the tea leaves in the economy, you understand what each one of these things mean. They come out every day, and then apply them towards are they coincident, lagging, or, or leading economic indicators. That gives you the ability to sort of read the tea leaves in the markets or the economy, which then the markets will react to it. Um, lots of different indicators. Uh, forward-looking things the next 6, 9, 12 months down the road. Uh, we, we, we study this stuff all the time, okay? You know, and, and, and these are things, if you want to learn how to invest money and, and see what's going on in the economy, the markets, possibly your businesses, you take a look at all these different dials and different things. Um, you know, it's, uh, monetary policy, taxes, wages, uh, labor participation rates, the whole nine yards all that dull, dry data that comes out. And then you take that and you go, well, what does this mean? What does this mean to certain segments of the market? How will Apple stock react versus AT&T stock versus Bed Bath & Beyond stock versus McDonald's stock, right? When one of these dials moves one way or the other. Those are the things that we need to learn in order to, to, to understand what's going on in the markets and the economy there. Here's just a graph. This is a, an, an older graph. It's probably a handful of months old. Um, I don't know the date on it, but it could be pretty recent, actually. Um, you can see the blue line is the basket of LEI's leading economic indicators, and you can see where it is right now. Okay? So this, oh, this was April of 21, it looks like. You can see where it is right now. Okay? Um, so here was COVID, and then here's coming back. And the leading economic indicators to date are still pointing north. One of the interesting things is you can look at the basket of leading economic indicators and go back in time, and you see how it goes up and down and up and down and up and down? Not till it really starts to cascade down, this gray line is a recession. There's a period of time there before the economy recesses. See that? Because if you look at the basket of economic indicators right here and right here, for a few months, and you go, oh, no, guess what? You, you could actually miss the markets running up before it recesses. Same here. My point is that one indicator does not tell the entire story. It's taking this piece of information and that piece of information and this piece and that piece 
and laying it all out and saying, collectively, what is the story that's being told here? Make sense? Okay. So you can see the same thing that happens here, right? Now, this was COVID. We just shut down the economy one day, and you can just see it drop off and then bounce back up. This is why we're having a lot of our inflation problems today. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, so, so interpreting economic indicators, I just sort of talked about that. We'll just, we'll just move on here just for time purposes. Um, how do home sales play out? How does GDP play out? Just all different things, you know. Um, you know, what's going to go on with home prices now that interest rates are going up? Huh? Is it going to slow down? Hmm. You can get two-car garages rather than three. But remember, it's a supply and demand issue going back to crypto, right? What's the supply in homes right now? Almost six million dollars under in, six million units under inventory. What's the demand? Take a look at the millennials. It's, it's millennials, generation X. I think it's millennials. Yeah, they're they're bigger in population than the baby boomers, and they're now twenty-seven to thirty-four years old, and they're moving into that stage of home buying. That's why we're seeing such a run-up in, in, in uh, homes. Interest rates being low for a while have affected and fanned the flame on it. But to your point, interest rates rising will not kill the demand, but slow it down a little bit. That's exactly right. Okay. Um, there's different types of, of, of stocks out there. There's, there's cyclical investments. These are very interest rate sensitive. You know, automobiles, they're very sensitive to the economy, that type of stuff. Real estate, financial services. Uh, what happened to my slide here? Oh, that's just a continuation. There's defensive sectors, okay? When the economy's slowing or dropping into a recession, where do you want to be? Is there still opportunity to make money? Yes, there's always opportunity no matter what the economy's doing, no matter what the markets are doing, there's always opportunity. Somewhere it's making money. Your investments that you had three years ago are probably vastly different than what you have today, or at least they should be anyway. Um, where, what your investment lineup's going to be nine months from now could be very materially different than where they are right now today. A lot of that's all going to depend on what happens with uh, Build Back Better program if a piece of this goes through. Uh, legislatively on the fiscal side, what the Fed does, um, corporate earnings, a lot of different things. Uh, so the, the defensive sector, consumer defensive, healthcare, utilities. So this this is a a a slide that I just I'd love to tell this story because this pretty much goes against everything we see on the business channels every day and in print media, and the newspapers, and all this kind of stuff. You know, we, we have to understand that there's a couple different things going on here. Um, one is, what is our timeline on our investments? Somebody says, well, Larry, I'm, I'm 65, I'm retired, so my timeline is very short. Well, what happens if you go to heaven 30 years from now, at 95? Your timeline is not short, right? Okay. So we need to understand that, that, that there's a, a, a long-term market that everybody in this room has. You've got to deal with it. 
You need money when you're 70, when you're 80, when you're 90 years old, right? Okay? So, so that's this green line right here. And then there's different business cycles. Along the next 30 years of your retirement years, 65 to 95, we'll just play it out like that. During that 30 years of your retirement years, 65 to 95, you're going to have different business cycles happening all the time, right? Because the economy is going to what? It's going to slow down. It's going to speed up really fast. And it's going to go back and forth during these 30 years in this example that I'm putting out. So we have to be aware that we need money for this long duration. We also need money for these business cycles that happen. How long do they usually happen? And then along the way, we need to have tactical movements along the way. Your question on bonds back there, sir, is a tactical movement right now. The Federal Reserve has changed its policy to more hawkish. In other words, rates are going up along with some other things, um, quantitative tightening, bonds rolling off, just a whole bunch of different things. But they have changed that scenario. They've changed it in the middle of an expansion of a business cycle that's expanding, the blue line, right? And they've changed it in the middle of your 30 years in retirement, right? Or if you're 30 years old, you're 60 years to go. So the Fed has changed that. So now we need to look at what the Fed has done, and we need to have a tactical approach. We do not want to get rid of our long-term understanding about pacing taxes and inflation, and we do not want to get rid of the current business cycle, because we're still expanding. The Fed's just made a tactical change in, in their uh, interest rate policy, which forces us to look at the portfolios and make probably, uh, hopefully, a, a two- or three-year tactical change, but it's still going to stay within this expansion of this business cycle. Does that make sense? This is what we need to understand, okay? And sometimes you just don't get that in these... You know, I, I, I was on CNBC uh, and Fox Business for seven years. Okay, on national TV. I was one of those talking heads up in the corner, you know. And so you just don't have time in a four-and-a-half-minute sound bite to start explaining financial planning, wealth accumulation, tax strategies, product strategies, all that kind of stuff. You, you, you know, they're not going to give it to you, right? And so we've got to understand how this works. You know, one of the... Uh, I, don't know if this, I don't think it's in this slide deck, but I just did a, a market update for our clients. I do a market update every couple of weeks or so. We keep sending out. We're having one coming up uh, Tuesday. I'm doing a market update. You can go to my website, LarryRosenthal.com, if you want to, and you can register on, on the website there. Just click on the little seminar button. It's free. It's a market update that we're doing in a Roth conversion webinar on Tuesday, if you wanted to, to, to take a look at it. Um, but uh, uh, you, you don't want to change your long-term perspective about pacing taxes and inflation. Okay? That, that's, that's the main thing we want to talk about here. And now, all of a sudden, we're talking about creating wealth. We're going through the economy. We're talking, you know, high-level Wall Street stuff. We're, we're talking about wealth accumulation, and then wham, we come all the way back over to this side of the screen again into God's economy. Again, see how easy it is to get caught up in man's economy? Right? Because I know at this point, some of us are thinking, well, you know, what's my bond portfolio look like? 
What's going to happen if they digitize things, right? What's inside my 401k? You know, am I too young to start? Am I too old? You know, all that stuff. And now here we come back. What did the Lord say about taxes, right? Render to whom what it is due, pay to Caesar, and pay the Lord, right? You know, Jesus gave a great answer there in Romans 13, 7. Render to all what is due to them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, uh, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. He said in Luke, he said, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. I mean, we could talk a lot of theology here in Luke 16.10 on... And, and I think the basics of understanding is what is our role with the assets the Lord's blessed us with? What's his role? What's our role? And our role is simply good stewardship, right? So we need education, we need direction, leadership, and all that. And we need to use those assets again, and I keep talking about this because it's important, to bring people to the Lord okay, through various means. Right? Um, we need to be faithful with it, too. So, there's just a lot. I mean, <laughs> I've got pages and pages on, on, on money as it goes through the Bible. There's, there's a lot with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, technology is a, def is a deflationary effect on the economy. Technology is a deflationary effect on the economy, um, which is a good thing. You know, if you look at the, the adoption rate of Internet, of technology since the late 90s till now, our, the Fed has tried to get inflation up to 2%. The reason it's high now is because we've just got a truckload of excess stimulus out there. That's what's going on. And, and we'll get through this this year and into next. Um, but inflation, I'm, I'm sorry, technology... Again, it's deflationary because we have the ability to send and receive information, products, services, with uh, excluding old ways of doing it. So that's deflationary. And then when you look at innovation, so you've got the technology bucket here, you know, the, the telephone and the computer and going online to Netflix and all that kind of stuff. But you also have a little piece of the pie over here that's called innovation. These are interruptive disruptive, industry-wide technologies that are going to displace some of the old technologies. And that's going to make the cause for more of a tactical movement. You know, there's companies out there right now that are researching the ability to store battery energy, make batteries last longer, right? Uh, we have government appetite, industry appetite, and to a certain degree, consumer appetite to get um, electric vehicles especially in, in the trucking industry, you know? Uh, and so, so those are interruptive technologies, great opportunities there. They really are. Does that answer your question, Jeff? It's, it's, it's going to... Yes, depending on what you're looking at, the tactical will, will, will expand or shrink. 
Business cycles, depending on different things, if there's a shock to the system, uh, could shrink or expand. So you've got to be aware of the length of those times. But one length that's for sure is this green line right here. You've got to run along those railroad tracks for a long time to come. So I've seen different presidents come and go, just like all of us have. I started managing money. I started invest, um, you know, doing, doing this industry uh, in Reagan's second term. And I've seen different presidents have different economic ideologies. Right? I've seen Clinton reduce taxes, which goes against some of the Democrat thought. I've seen Bush raise taxes, which goes against some of the Republican thought. The taxes will do one thing. They will go up and down, depending on the need at the time and the electoral uh, body of people. So, so my, my, my point is this, is as different presidents come in with different programs, we just need to study them up, and it goes all the way back to the beginning. Remember those four tax buckets? on understanding where we can efficiently place our dollars today for growth, for income, and distribution to heirs and charities. Okay? So one thing's always going to change is different, different administrations' economic ideologies back and forth. And that's where you see maximum tax, minimal tax. We're down here now at a minimal tax, tax scenario. And it's going to float up and down okay, with, with everything. So any questions on that? kind of gets into... You know, just studying what's going on, watching the things in Congress. You know, there, there'll be a change if they put, put together some of this Build Back Better stuff we're talking about now. I think it's like Build Back Better Mini or something. I don't know. Um, but that's going to change a, a, a lot of things. We have to wait and see what, what happens there. So we've talked about asset allocation. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. I didn't have a slide on it, but I had a slide on tax allocation. I mean, on... on uh, uh, yeah, tax allocation. And, and this is sort of the way it, it, it looks in, in the real world here. Tax allocation game plan. Taxable, tax deductible, non-deductible, tax exempt. Uh, are we following it all? And one of the things that I, that I want to point out on this slide right here is your IE ratio. How much IRA money do you have to your estate that's never been taxed before? Most people have saved the majority of their money in their retirement plans on a pre-tax basis, right? So think about it for a second to yourself. How much money do you have saved up? How much of that money has never been taxed? And here's the rule. You control 100% of it. You can control 100% of it, but you really only own 65 to 70% of it. Because on pre-tax dollars, when those monies come out, what do you have to do? You either need to find an offsetting tax deduction very quickly or pay some tax on it. Fair enough? So I want to use this, this, uh, this slide right here. This is through uh, March 10th of this year. Okay? And, and, and this is where, um, let me see if I have this other slide here. No. So, so um, this is the stock market the crazy slot machine in New York City, right? And let's go, I'll come over here and look at 1980. You can see that year the market closed at 26%. See that right there? But at one point during the calendar year of 1980, the market was down a negative 17%. 
Look at this year, right here, 95. Is that 95? Yeah, 95. Uh, i got to get my lines right now. The market closed up 20%, but at one point it was down 8%. This is the yearly volatility of the stock market. There it is, right? Intra-year drops of 14%, annual returns were positive 32 or 42 years. So this is normal. Every year we have usually a 5% pullback three times a year, or something close to that. This is normal. All right? The triggering event to make it go up and down is different all the time. But the volatility is kind of normal. Make sense? So if you go back and you take a look at the number of times we've actually had negative returns since 1980, what does that tell you to do? Stay invested, and from time to time, make some tactical changes in your portfolio. Here's a look at, at some of the different reasons we've had some of these, these, fall, these things falling off. Again, this is through December of 2021. But you can go back in time and take a look at these, what is it, two, four, six, eight different times that we've had some, some market drops and the different reasons as to them. Did the world end? Did the stock market come back? Yes, it did. When we're 65 years old and we're retired, our portfolios should be designed so that a piece of them have very little of this volatility going on. That's the piece you're pulling income from. But when we're 65 and retired, we still need to let assets continue to grow for a long period of time when we're 75, 85, and 95. Make sense? Okay? There's always a different triggering event that's going to have a pullback. Can't tell you when. It'll happen, though. I can't tell you what will cause it, but it will. Something will happen. Okay? You know, who knows? Maybe the Nats will win another World Series, right? And then the markets go way, way up, right? <laughs> um, uh, we, we talked about bonds here. Again, this, this, this goes back to... Eric, how am I doing on time here? Five minutes? Okay. Um, uh, this goes back to the illustration I was talking about earlier. If interest rates... Um, if this is a $10,000 bond and it's at six and a quarter percent interest, if interest rates go up, the principal value goes down, now your bond's trading at a discount. If interest rates go down, your bond's trading at a premium. That was that teeter-totter example on your question you asked, Okay. Um, again, different types of stocks. There's growth stocks, income stocks, large cap, small cap. Uh, there's, there's 11 different sectors of the S&P 500. 11 different sectors of the S&P 500 and 123 subsectors of the 11. Give me a break, right? Okay. There's pros and cons all over the place. Big picture. What is our goal? What do we want to try to do? What's the best way to get there, right? How do we use all this stuff? And then how do we have over top of it the Lord's, um, you know, being a good steward with everything? This is what we, this is dollar cost averaging here. The, the, the most efficient way 
to invest over a long period of time is something called dollar cost averaging. And here, the, the rule is you put the same amount of money into the same investment every single interval, whether it's monthly, weekly, quarterly, whatever it may be, regardless of the price of the share. So, so at $500, and it's 20, you're putting in $500, and let's suppose it's $25 a share, you get 20 shares. The next month it goes down, you still put $500 in, but now it's $20 a share. So this person may say, oh no, I lost money this month, I'm not investing anymore. The wise person says, wait a minute, I get to get more shares now. Because the secret here is the accumulation, the acquisition of shares over time. If I had it my way, the markets would stay flat for all my adult life. I keep buying the same flat shares, and at the end, they all pop up, right? That'd be perfect, right? Unfortunately, I can't write that script, right? So it goes like this. So that, that's going to give us the best average price, dollar cost averaging right there. Um, uh, you can't see this too well, but there's a yellow slide right here, a yellow line. Something that's called beta. This helps you measure the risk of your investments. Understand what your beta is. There's a long formula about the size of this screen right here, but here's the, the, the down and dirty on it. The market, meaning the S&P 500 in this example, has a beta of 1.00. And it's the red line. It goes down, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, right? The, if your investments have a beta of 1.2, that means you're 20% more volatile, 20% more risky. So as the S&P goes down, you're going to drop down further. As the market rebounds, you're going to come up higher, right? If your beta is at 0.8, it means you're 20% less volatile. So as the market cascades down, you're just going to drop a little. You're going to sort of ebb and flow along right there and be in the middle. So question for you, which one's right? They're all right. Depends on what your goal is. Depends on what your risk appetite is, right? You can have a beta that's more volatile than the market. You can have a beta that's exactly where the market is. Or you can have a beta that's less volatile. So in your investment in your investments, you can slice up risk one little unit at a time, or you can slice down risk one little unit at a time. You need to get educated on what that risk looks like. So check out what your beta is on your investments. Okay? Um, and you can do that by putting it into different software programs. If you want, we'll be happy to do that. Just shoot us off an email or give us a call or Dwayne or or Greg or Eric can, can show you how to get in touch with us. Um, giving. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? First Timothy 6, 19 through seven, uh, 17 through 19. This is a, a good one here. Well, they're all good. Instruct those that are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on what? On God, right? Who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may make 
so that they may take hold of what uh, that which is life indeed. For the earth is the Lord and all that it contains. 1 Corinthians 10.26. That includes our money, right? That includes our home, our cars, our baseball cards, everything. Right? Okay? Are we being a good steward with them? Nothing wrong with trying to grow, grow assets, create wealth. Just keep an eye on what, what, what you know, we want to do with them. Uh, you know, fire them back into the Lord's kingdom one way or the other. Missions, tithing, whatever it may be. Okay? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's prayer time. You know, if you want to stand tall, get on your knees, right? I'm sure we've heard that many, many times. Okay? And it's the same thing with, with our, our assets that the Lord has given us. Uh, net worth. But those that want to get, uh, get rich fall into temptations. You know, if you're trying to get rich and you're falling into temptations, what are you chasing? No matter how many assets we have, no matter what we end up with today or down the road, if we don't have the Lord, we're going to have that God hole in our heart. Anything in the world is not going to satisfy us, right? It's not going to give us the peace, the contentment. It's only found in Jesus. And we've got to deal with worldly assets. We've got to deal with college funding, retirement planning, taxes, gas prices. We've got to deal with all that stuff with the assets that God's given us. So let's stop and think about what our stewardship roles are. Let's draw a line in the sand, get our financial house correct, take an inventory of it, take a look at it, what are our goals, where we want things to be. Kind of go from there. Divide your portion into seven or even eight, for you do not know what the misfortune may, be, may occur on earth. Right? I mean, a long time ago, right? They were talking about asset allocation. <laughs> if you think about it, right? He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. So let's keep the Lord Jesus first in our lives above everything, and that includes money. 